Section three of Meller of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Meller of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. Good King Wenceslaus. One of the greatest misfortunes that can happen to any child is to have a depraved and unbelieving mother. Young Wenceslaus, the son of the ruler of Bohemia, and his brother Boleslaus, had for mother a cruel and impious pagan. Happily for the boys, their father was a true Christian, the son of the first Catholic Duke of Bohemia, whose wife is known in history as Blessed Ludmilla. After the death of her husband, this holy princess lived at Prague, and to her great joy her grandson, Wenceslaus, was placed by his father in her wise and loving care. Her chaplain became the boy's tutor, and under the guidance of this singularly holy and prudent man, Wenceslaus soon began to give signs of solid piety and lasting goodness. After some years he was sent to college at Budwis, a place more than sixty miles from Prague, and there he made progress both in learning and in virtue, being, it is said, notably careful in shunning the things that make for sin. When his father died, Wenceslaus was still young, and his pagan mother determined to govern Bohemia in his stead. Immediately she began to make war upon the Catholic religion. She ordered every church to be closed, stopped the exercise of all Christian rites, and imitating the conduct of Julian the Apostate, whose impiety is at this time being emulated by the French government, forbade priests to give any instruction to the young. Not content with this, she repealed all the laws made by her husband and his father in favor of the Christians, and in all the towns of Bohemia replaced the Catholic magistrates by her own followers. Promising him all the help in her power, the grandmother of Wenceslaus, Blessed Ludmilla, implored the boy to check these outrages by taking his lawful place as the ruler of Bohemia. Greatly to the delight of the people he obeyed, and his wretched mother was deposed. His generosity is shown by the fact that in order to avoid disputes, he divided the country between himself and his younger brother. Sad to say, this younger brother, Bolislaus, was perverted by his wicked mother, who was enraged at her deposition and determined to be revenged upon both Wenceslaus and his grandmother. Meanwhile, Wenceslaus chose for his advisers the most upright and prudent ministers in his dominions, and did all in his power to establish and preserve peace. Like so many other saintly princes, he gives the lie to those enemies of Jesus Christ, who try to maintain that a pious king cannot be a good ruler. Religion is for all men, whether their character be strong or weak, and it is difficult to say if the masterly and self-reliant or the timid and incapable have more need of divine help. In Wenceslaus there was no suspicion of weakness. His piety was profound. He gave his days to business and his nights to prayer. His devotion to the adorable sacrament was so remarkable that with his own hands he sowed the corn for the altar bread, while he gathered the grapes and made the wine used in the holy sacrifice. He usually left his bed at midnight, going to the churches to pray even when snow lay on the ground, and if the church doors were shut, he was content to kneel in the porch. His daily life was filled with works of mercy, both corporal and spiritual. Wherever there was want or trouble or distress, there the king appeared. Orphans and widows, the sick, the dying, prisoners in their cells, all were visited and relieved by him. He ruled his kingdom by his virtues rather than by force, says the breviary, and it was the greatest possible grief to him when he was compelled to pass sentence of death upon the guilty. In the dead of night he would go to the prisons and console those who were shut up, 
giving them food and money as well as advice and comforting words. It is said that walking barefoot through snow and ice his bleeding footprints gave out heat. In some parts of England this legend, prettily versified by the late Dr. Neal, is well known as a Christmas carol. Good king once us lost looked out on the feast of Stephen, when the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel, when a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. The king asks his page who the poor man is, and where he lives, finding that his dwelling is a goodly kent underneath the mountain. Wenceslas exclaims, Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I will see him dine, when we bear them hither. Page and monarch forth they went, forth they went together, through the rude wind's wild lament, and the bitter weather. But in the darkness and the cold the boy's heart fails him, whereupon the good king says, Mark my footsteps, my good page, tread thou in them boldly, thou shalt find the winter's rage, freeze thy blood less coldly. Following in his master's steps, the boy finds that heat was in the very sod which the saint had printed. The king's revengeful mother was determined that her son should have no peace. The grandmother of Wenceslas found that her daughter-in-law was plotting to take her life. In no way disturbed, the holy old woman distributed her goods among her servants and the poor, made her confession, and prepared herself for death. Hired assassins found her prostrate in prayer before the altar of her chapel, and strangled her with her own veil. Not satisfied with this abominable crime, the king's mother invited Radislas, prince of Garima, to invade her son's territory. Anxious to maintain the peace of his country, Wenceslas sent a message to Radislas, asking what offense he had given him and suggesting terms of reconciliation. Radislas treated the message with contempt and answered that the entire surrender of Bohemia was his only condition of peace. Physical courage is a great gift, moral courage is a far greater one. Wenceslas had both. He immediately marched against the enemy of his country. When the two armies met, the saint asked for speech with Radislas, who was soon to be convinced that if sometimes a bad man may be a hero of a sort, a man of God is doubly and trebly a hero. Greatly to his surprise, Radislas found himself challenged to single combat. Why should we shed the blood of our followers? Wenceslas asked. Let the battle be between us, the leaders. Radislas could not refuse to accept such a challenge, a very different matter to be remembered to a duel. Still despising his pious antagonist, the invader assured himself of an easy victory. Armed with only a short sword, the brave Wenceslas met his country's foe. The fight was brief enough. Failing to fling his javelin, to the astonishment of his men, Radislas threw down his weapons and fell upon his knees. He had not struck a single blow. Without a struggle, the invading king yielded to the saintly and courageous Wenceslas. The good king's troubles did not cease with his victory over Radislas. Wenceslas had now to turn his attention to his own country. Some of his nobles were oppressors of the poor, and this, with other disorders, the king checked with necessary severity. His action did not make him popular with these unworthy men, 
and when the unnatural mother of Wenceslas began to plot against her son's life, they readily came to her aid, and that of the younger son, the pagan Boleslas. A child had been born to Boleslas, and a pressing invitation was sent to Wenceslas to be present at the celebration of so important an event. Suspecting nothing, Wenceslas accepted. It was the 28th of September in the year 938. The entertainment was on a magnificent scale, but true to his usual habits, when midnight came, Wenceslas went to the church. Urged by his mother, Boleslas and some attendants followed him. The holy king received many wounds from the men-at-arms, but it was his own brother who, in the end, ran him through the body with a lance. The enemies of God and religion triumphed, as they often do, for a time. To avenge the murder of Wenceslas, the Emperor Otho I subjugated Bohemia and forced Boleslas to submit. Soon after the assassination of her son, his mother lost her life. One account seems to suggest that she perished in an earthquake. Terrified by his mother's fate and the many miracles worked at his brother's tomb, Boleslas caused the saint's body to be translated to the church of St. Vitus at Prague, and the church built by Wenceslas himself for the reception of the body of his saintly grandmother. It is pleasant to record that the son and successor of Boleslas became not only one of the greatest rulers of the period, but a faithful follower in the footsteps of his uncle, St. Wenceslas. Note. The following account of the preparation of the bread and wine for the altar at Cluny is an instance of the care taken in this matter in the ages of faith. There are numberless beautiful rites of benediction observed, as that of the ripe grapes, which were blessed on the altar during Mass, on the 6th of August, and afterwards distributed in the refectory, of new beans, and of the freshly pressed juice of the grape. The ceremonies observed in making the altar breads were also most worthy of note. The grains of wheat were chosen one by one, were carefully washed and put aside in a sack, which was carried by one known to be pure in life and conversation at the mill. Then they were ground and sifted, he who performed this duty being clothed in an alb and amice. Two priests and deacons clothed in like manner prepared the breads, and a lay brother, having gloves on his hands, held the irons in which they were baked. The very wood of the fire was chosen of the best and driest, and whilst these processes were being gone through, the brethren engaged ceased not to sing psalms, or sometimes recited Our Lady's office. End of section 3